Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. As Jesus got closer to his purpose for coming, in the next two weeks, he spends each day actually in the temple teaching. He goes to the Mount of Olives at night and spends the evenings there, and then he comes to the temple courts and he teaches. And he is exposing himself more and more to the crowds and to the Jewish leaders who wanted him dead. He's speaking also more openly about who he is, especially in relation to the Father, and what he's come to do. Here is Christ, the very one that they had been waiting for, had dreamed of his coming. It was a dream of a thousand years, and yet when he came and began to make it clear, pull the curtain back, show the light of who he was, and why he came, they weren't happy, they were angry, and they rejected him. In these last days of his earthly ministry, he is purposefully bringing things to a head. Prior uh, to this, in the gospel, he controlled the exposure of his identity. And he controlled the confrontation that was going to go on between himself and those who would, you know, have him brought to trial. Until he had finished his earthly work. He still had some discipling to do, some teachings, some miracles to do. But now we come in this season of Passion Tide, these last two weeks leading up to Good Friday. We come to the time where he sets in motion that which would bring about the end. The reason he came down. That he might suffer and die at their hands. Jesus had a very clear vision of what he was doing and why he was doing it. Everything he did was for a reason. And it was always actually the same reason. Sometimes, you know, he confronted the Jews and gave them what for, like in today's gospel. At the very end, as we talked a lot about yesterday, when he was put on trial and being condemned, he did the opposite. He went silent and opened not his mouth, like a lamb led to the slaughter. Sometimes... He told the devils to shut up and be gone. Another time, he subjected himself to the taunts of Satan. But whatever he did, he did it for one reason. And he was never fuzzy on the reason. He knew what he was doing. This reason, this one thing, controlled everything he did. And that reason, of course, is love is love. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit's love and desire for us. God's plan to redeem us from death, to share His beautiful divine life with us at great cost to Himself. That was the reason Jesus did everything He did, was for us. When it comes to Jesus Christ, the man, 
the God-man, what that love looks like. How is it, is it manifest? That question is very important for us to study. That's why we study the Gospels. We want to know what that divine love looked like as it flowed through the man, Jesus Christ. That's what's pertinent for us. Because He's our model. He is what perfected humanity looks like. He is our elder brother. And we are to be like Him in every way. We don't just reverence our elder brother. We worship our elder brother. We worship Him and imitate Him and want to be like Him. And what controlled Him, what controlled Christ was love. And that love was manifest in absolute obedience to the Father. Complete and total obedience, as, as the Scriptures say, even unto death. That's what that means. Unto death means absolute. You can't get any more obedient than unto death. <laughs> That's the point. And then to put the capstone on, not just any old death, but even the death of the cross. Total obedience unto death, unto the death of the cross. The worst imaginable death. Jesus basically, his manifestation of love when he came and became man, was basically to reject any semblance of individual autonomy. That's what it consisted of. He never fought for himself as some independent individual. He never put himself forward to gain something for himself. He never succumbed to the temptation to protect himself, to secure himself, even in his darkest hour when he felt most alone. Christ's perfection through suffering was essentially the reversal of the human attempt for autonomy. That's what he came to do. He came and he took our humanity and he subjugated the human will to the Heavenly Father in the midst of suffering, even unto death. It was a destruction of the autonomous human will. That's what he was about. That's what he was doing. A total burning and holocaust of man's independence from God. That's why he came. That is the manifestation of his love. I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, he said. Numerous times, actually. He says, my will. Uh, just to clarify here, he has two wills. <laughs> so when he says, I come not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me, he's speaking of the human will. The will that added to his person when he became man. He's not speaking of the divine will. The divine will in Christ is exactly the same will as the Father's will. They share the same will. When he says, I come not to do my will, he's referring to his human will. He's basically saying, I didn't come down here and become a man so I could just go, you know, roving about and doing whatever I pleased. Without regard to the divine will. I came in order to perfect Humanity to perfect and restore and heal the human will in obedience to the divine will, in obedience even unto death, even the death of the cross. Now St. Paul tells us in the letter to the Hebrews that his humanity was made perfect through suffering. 
just as a brief aside and a lot of confusion about some of this language. Jesus being made perfect does not mean he was sinful. Being perfect in his case is not being cleansed of sin, but rather bringing humanity to its completion, its full and glorious completion. He did what Adam failed to do because Adam derailed that process by sinning and introducing death. Adam was originally to be perfected, but not through suffering. Let me clear up another little misunderstanding. Adam's perfection was not originally to be through suffering. Suffering is not proper to divinity or to man as God created him. Suffering entered the picture because of sin. What is the answer to this? Suffering entered. So it entered. No matter. (laughs) That's the answer. So what? This is not an insurmountable problem to God. God is not thrown off his game by this, you know, inconvenience. Oh, happy fault. Why? Because sin is nothing. And God is everything. That's why. Sin is nothing. Was that cavalier? Look back over the ages at all the suffering and the terribleness of it all. And yet we sing, oh, happy fault. We are a triumphalistic people. Sin is nothing. And God is everything. God is not afraid of the dark. He steps into it and it is gone. There is no meaning or purpose in suffering per se. Suffering is the result of sin and it is evil. It is bad. It is ugly. It is the enemy. But God's love will not be overcome. And so death and suffering will not have the last word. God entered it. He embraced it. He took it upon himself. And by so doing, he destroyed it. And that's why we can call death the enemy and at the same time find God there, right in the midst of death. Our death. Our suffering. Even the deaths we die daily. That's the great glory of the gospel. That is the message of the cross. God and the power of his love fills that vacuous, dark abyss of suffering and death with his presence. And when he dies and goes into hell, death dies. That's the triumph of his love to create something out of nothing. That's the picture of what he did when he created in the first place, ex nihilo, he created out of nothing. And in redemption, when he creates the new creation... The new heavens, the new earth, the new nature, the new humanity, the new kingdom, the new temple. It's the same thing. He's creating something out of nothing, out of the nothingness of death and darkness. He creates the new creation by entering into it. That's the message of the cross. It's a glorious and hopeful message that we must preach triumphalistically. But for us in this life, we have to walk this out. We have to live this. We have to figure out what does this look like for us. And the way we do that is by looking at Jesus Christ and seeing how he lived it, how he walked it out. How does this manifest in our lives? What does it consist of? Because it's not enough for him to bear his cross 
If we're going to be heirs with him, we have to bear our cross as well. So his love triumphed through humility. And that's how we study the life of Christ. And especially in these last days before he goes to the cross. Especially. Because this is when everything really begins to come into sharp focus for us. His love triumphed through his humility, his meekness, his absolute obedience to the Father, his denial of individual autonomy, his submission to the common will of the divine Godhead for the sake of the whole, even if it means, and it does mean, death. That is love. This is what compelled Jesus Christ in everything he did to subject himself to the taunts of Satan, to dialogue with Satan's children, which we always talk about his humility when he is silent before Pilate. I, I, I can't imagine even entering into a dialogue with these people who are trying to kill him. To me, that's a, even a greater humility. I mean, the greatest humility is for him to even allow Satan to speak to him. That's the greatest humility. I can't imagine such a thing. That he would allow Satan to even speak to him. I mean, he's God. Quashed the little bug. But he didn't. He allowed Satan to tempt and taunt him. He subjected himself to that for the love of us. He subjected himself to deign, to lower himself, to even speak to these Pharisees who were plotting for his murder. Why would he even waste his breath on them? And then at the end, he was silent in total meekness and humility. All of it's the same. It's all driven by his love, not by his concern for himself. He's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about giving his life for the life of the world. He's totally wrapped up in his father and his father's will in the divine love. And he says so in our reading today. And he says again and again in these last few weeks before he goes to the cross. He says, I do not seek my own glory. It's the whole message of the gospel. It's the whole message of Christ. And what he teaches us. And what we're supposed to be about. I do not promote myself. I do not protect myself. I do not seek my own glory. I do not testify of myself. I have come to do the Father's will. I have come not to seek my own will. But his will. Which is to love. To die. Not to glory. Not to seek that glory. But to seek the cross. He came to seek the cross. Which is the Father's will. It is the Father who will glorify the Son. The Son does not glorify Himself. We do not glorify ourselves. So I've been saying yesterday, we said a lot, and I said in a recent sermon, ours is to seek Good Friday. We're trying to get to Good Friday. Not to Easter. To Good Friday. God takes us to Easter. That's His part. We don't worry about that. Sometimes I think maybe we talk too much about deification in the Orthodox Church. We're trying to pick up our cross. Let God deify us. You know, when people first become Orthodox and they never heard about deification, they start reading about it a little too much. I had somebody come up to me 
after he'd been Orthodox for a few year, months, few months, saying, Father, you know, I think I might be getting close to being deified. Don't worry about that. That's God's business. God's the one who deifies you. You're the one who dies. You worry about dying. Let God worry about deifying you. Let's just get to Good Friday. And God will raise us up. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.